life mirrors yours, how your life may mirrors hers, and how we can ultimately find our life in Christ uh, through it all. So there it is, okay? I was getting a little nervous there. Um, so happy Mother's Day. I've actually entitled this particular sermon, A Mother's Inspiring Faith. And so let me just pause again and say, uh, I am thankful for all mothers. Uh, one of the most joyous times in my ministry uh, career has been visiting uh, new moms and dads uh, in the hospital with their little, my brother, what well, my brother calls Baj, bundle of joy, right? So uh, we, we, uh, my niece, uh, Brian, had to, has, still has to live with that nickname. And, uh, but they are bundles of joy. And they bring life to a family. They bring life to a church. And I'm so thankful for moms and babies. Uh, as we consider a particular mother, uh, her story is one of the lesser-known stories in Scripture. I mean, I'm sure most of us, if you've read through Scripture at least once, you'll recall this particular story. But it's not as spectacular as some of the spectacular stories. And so I, I, I wanted to just think, in the context of our inspiring story... We're in the context, actually, of a spectacular story that we have actually touched on a few different times over the last few months, not on purpose necessarily, but tangentially to the, the, our study in Galatians. But it's Elijah and the prophets of Baal, right? You can call them Baal, Baal, Baal. Uh, I pronounce most of the, of the vowels. Uh, I think that's the way it's supposed to be said, Baal. All right? But that, we know this. We read about it not too long ago. We, we were talking about how we should never be guilty of mocking God the way Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal. He said, what, is your God asleep that he can't bring fire down from the sky to consume your offerings? He says, my God can do that. And that's, what, that's that mountaintop experience that we often refer to, you know, when, when Elijah prayed. And God honored his faith and honored his prayer and honored his sacrifice and consumed the, uh, the altar, not just the offering, but the altar and all that was around it. So that's a spectacular story. And so as we look into today's uh, story, I'm wondering, would we call it a minor story? I get a little nervous about that because it's inspired scripture. But it's the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. It's the scripture reading that we read earlier. And so I don't think we should call it a minor story. I think we ought to call it an inspiring story because I'm personally inspired by myself, myself by, by engaging in what God is doing through this text and how this text is related in the New Testament. So uh, this story is inspiring because it tells of a mother's encounter with God's grace, which provoked a response in her heart of simple faith, right? Not just her heart, but her hands, right? Her actions. And so we're, we're going to look at this story, and we're going to go through it, but there's one particular verse that stands out. I'm just going to go ahead and we'll, we'll hit it again as we go through the text, and it's already been read, but it's this, this verse, 1 Kings 17, 15. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. She did according to the word of Elijah. That was her act of faith that we're honoring today, and then I say that ought to inspire us. And so the remainder of our time will be uh, really focused on the widow of Zarephath. We're going we're gonna to look at uh, a little bit of some other people in the, in the grander story here. But for the most part, I'm going to not talk about the whole story as much as I want to talk about the aspects that are pertinent to her life and her 
her recorded uh, role uh, in the Word of God. Right? So as we, as we think about this, the Word of Elijah in this context is actually the Word of God. So uh, Elijah comes on the scene. We know him as this great prophet. Uh, but he just comes on the scene kind of out of nowhere in this text in, second, in 1 Kings 17. And, and so she did according to his word. He's a prophet of God. But as a prophet of God, his word is God's word when spoken, thus saith the Lord. Right. So the word of Elijah is in the context of the word, in this context, is that word of God. And so her willingness to heed the word of Elijah was a simple expression of faith in God. Now we might think that's not a big deal, but as we get to know her a little bit more, I think we'll see this is a huge thing that she did. Uh, one little comment I want to make here is that let's remember that simple does not mean easy. How many of you have lived that one before, right? It's simple to do some things, but it's, it's, uh, it's often very hard. And I think this was hard for her. It is simple. She just had to obey. She had to obey the word of Elijah, which is the word of God. But I don't think it was necessarily as easy as we might think it was. So the widow of Zarephath expressed faith. We're going to walk through this, this story again. Uh, as we do, uh, we, we want to see, first of all, she, she expressed faith when living in a nation guilty of great idolatry. Now, some of this can easily be, and I'll allow you to apply this into our context. Do we live in a nation that is guilty of great idolatry? Yes. Pick your idol in the sense of understanding what's out there. I could name a few, but they're the, they're the ones we always think about. But maybe there are ones that, that you know only too well in your life. And, and maybe you know you ought to turn from that idol and worship the true God. But this, this widow, she's, she goes unnamed. That's why we call her the widow of Zarephath. We don't know her name. I'm sure Elijah did, but God didn't see fit for her name to be recorded in the text of Scripture. So we know her as a widow from Zarephath. The widows, as we, as we consider her station in life, that was a scary place to be. Nobody to look out for you. Uh, she has a child. Obviously, we're talking about Mother's Day in, in this context. But I'll just say she is, uh, she's living in a nation guilty of great idolatry. Now, we, we can pull this out from the previous chapter, as we look at 1 Kings 16, 29 through 33, we see that in the, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, little, little Asa is a righteous king in Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom. Israel is the northern kingdom of the divided monarchy. Right? If you don't know this, uh, under David, everything was united. Under Solomon, it was united. Under Solomon's son, it was united until he didn't do right. He sinned, and the nation split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And, and we see Asa. And this is the way you can chronologically work through the text of, of Kings and Chronicles by knowing where, how one king in the north uh, um, is, is related to the king in the south or vice versa. So here this is what the author is telling us, and God's informing us in the 38th year of Asa, who's a righteous king in, in the northern, uh, southern kingdom of Judah, says, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And one thing to also remember, there was never a righteous king in the northern kingdom of Israel. When they were split, there was no righteous king. There was no king that sought after God. Southern kingdom, yes, few, but they were there. So here we are introduced to Ahab. Does that name send chills down your spine? 
All right? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I think there's another name coming up that probably will, and we'll get there. Uh, it says, And Ahab, the son of Omni, reigned over Israel and Samaria uh, 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel. There's that word. Does that send shivers down your spine? All right. Uh, it was fashionable in, in ages gone by to, to refer to uh, not-so-respectful ladies as Jezebels. She is not someone to hold in honor or esteem. She is a wicked wicked person with, that you will see in the text, and so we'll, we'll touch base on her a little bit later. All right, but we see that, that, that he took his wife Jezebel. Here is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, still considered the people of God, right? And he takes as his wife uh, Jeze, uh, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. I'm, gonna, I'm highlighting this because this will come into play later, and I'll probably just go ahead and just spell it out now. But the widow of Zarephath is from Sidon, all right? And, and so Ethbaal uh, is uh, their prominent Baal worshipers, right? So this is, uh, this, she is from the heart of Baal worship. And so this is, this is Jezebel, and, and she is the daughter of a king, and he went and served Baal and worshiped him, not, to, not the king, but Ahab, king of the northern kingdom of, Ju of uh, Israel. Then he set up an altar, again, talking about Ahab. He set up an altar for Baal in the, in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. This is still within the confines of, of, of uh, the, the people of God. And we have these uh, uh, temple worship, temples being built, not to the true God, but to the false gods. Verse 33, And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Ahab and Jezebel, they're names that you probably uh, have heard before. If not, please understand, not role models, all right? Not role models. So the widow of Zarephath, though, is a role model, and, and so she expressed faith in this, in this nation that's guilty of great idolatry. Her nation, as well as the northern kingdom of Israel, the, the great idolatry was taking place. But she was also, she exercised faith, expressed faith, when experiencing a great famine. And this is the context of the great story, the spectacular story. And we see in 1 Kings 17.1, Elijah the Tishbe, Tishbite, uh, the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. I want to, actually, I should have highlighted it and I didn't, but it says, As the Lord God of Israel lives. We're going to see that statement again. And it's going to come uh, in, in, its, in, in, a, uh, in a different form, but it's basically there from the mouth of the widow of Zarephath. But we hear, see here Elijah, the prophet of God, communicating to the king over part of God's people. And he says, listen, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. We're familiar with this story. Then the Lord of the Lord, and I highlighted these. You'll see this coming through here. Just focusing on the reality of God's word. How often this particular section of Scripture talks about God's command, God's word, as it goes forth. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and, and hide by the brook Cherith, 
I, and, and many of us, uh, we, ha- we support a missionary named Cherith. I, we have good friends. I have a daughter named Cherith. Maybe you're named Cherith this morning. Here's the, the derivation of that name, right? Uh, and it, it is a beautiful story because God provides for his prophet. He says, Go hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens. Sorry, I thought I highlighted And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. This is part of the spectacular story when we're focusing on Elijah and the, and the great thing, that, that, uh, the, uh, uh, the battle, in a sense, that's going to take place on Mount Carmel. But we see God is the hero of the story throughout the, both the spectacular story and this inspiring story. God is the hero. His word goes forth. He is the one who can command ravens uh, to feed Elijah. So Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. There's a man of faith. Uh, for he went and stayed at the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So all that to say, this is just the context of her expression of faith, right? Uh, all kinds of idolatry. This great, well, drought brings famine, right? So no water, no growth, no food. Uh, so there's this, we know that she was in a time of great famine. But we also see that she exercises her faith, expresses her faith, when experiencing personal great poverty. Notice what she says as we go through the story. She says, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, uh, speaking to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. All right? So this is the Sidonians, right? This is Jezebel's territory. And dwell there. Uh, See, I have commanded a widow. God is capable of commanding the ravens. He's capable of commanding a widow uh, to provide for you. We do not know exactly how God communicated this provision. Uh, We all see the story unfold as to what she may have known, what she may not have known. uh, But uh, certainly we see Elijah as a man of God. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Now, what we're touching on a few things here is, um, one, in one of my commentaries, it mentioned those that would gather sticks uh, was a sign of poverty. I I didn't know that until I read about it. Uh, It was the idea of, you know, you didn't have uh, a a stash of of wood for a fire. You had to go and scrounge for it. She's scrounging for uh, for, uh, sticks to create a fire upon which to cook some food. And he says, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. Again, touching on the cultural uh, expression of the day, this would not have necessarily been a foreign thing to take place. A man asked a woman for a drink of water. We see that in other areas of Scripture. It was, it was uh, what I'll call Old Testament hospitality or, or, or Near East uh, 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 expression of hospitality. She didn't find this unusual. And, and so, please bring me a little water. She was like, okay, this is the right cultural thing to do. And as she was going to get it, this is where the story gets interesting. He called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. I don't know why, but when, when uh, Christina was reading this earlier, I had a flashback to my mother and father. Uh, my dad loves sports of all types. And he would sit there on Saturday and Sunday. We went to church, but we'd sit there. And, and my mom would bring him down his sandwich and bring him down a drink. 
you know, and, and it was just the norm, right? Never thought anything about it. Flashback, right? Hey, can you get me a drink? Oh, by the way, can you make me a sandwich, right? Like, well, that takes a little bit more effort, and I'm thinking, here's this, here's this lady, and so this, this may been, have been also a culturally expected expression. Hey, listen, can I have a morsel of bread? In your hospitality, would you do that? And if she had it, she would have given it, probably without any issue. But we're dealing with dreadful poverty at this point. Verse 12, so she said, as the Lord your God lives, we'll touch on that in a minute, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. She is, she is expressing her poverty here. She has nothing upon which to give him. I, I picture the woman uh, uh, with the two mites in the temple. Remember, she gave all that she had, not out of her abundance, but she gave all. And Jesus commended her for it. Here we see that the prophet of God, he comes and he sees this woman, and, and she is saying, I have nothing to give you. All I have is, uh, I do not have bread. I have some flour and a little oil. So she, as she expresses her faith, she has great poverty, but it gets even worse. If I can make this story just go further down into despair, when all seems hopeless, this lady acted in faith. I think this is why we can consider this story an inspiring story. I ask you to put yourself, as I've tried to put myself in these circumstances, and say, if I was in a nation that was guilty of great idolatry, which I think in many ways we are, but we're here not not worshiping idols. We're here as free people who are able to worship God, right? We are are worshiping the one true God. And so, although we are surrounded, it's not the exact same thing as the widow of Zarephath. You may have gone hungry. There was great famine in the world. You may have experienced a hard time. And I'm in regular conversations with people trying to help them understand that America is a bubble. And I would say probably, and I want to be careful because I know there are people who struggle, but some of the struggles vary as for the reasons they might be in there. But great poverty I have seen in other nations as I've traveled the world. I have not seen the level of poverty in our nation as I have seen overseas. It is tremendous poverty out in the world today. And I know many people who have looked upon their lives as hopeless. You may be here this morning. Right? This is not a foreign thought. This is not only Old Testament times. This is not only the widow of Zarephath. This is us, folks. There are times when things are so bad, we feel like it's hopeless. It is the number one reason from my understanding, for suicide. They find, a person finds no hope. There is hopelessness. They, they can't get out of whatever it is they're dealing with, and the, and the irrational option of suicide becomes rational when there's no hope. Praise God for the gospel that gives us not just present hope, because it does, but eternal hope. Praise God, Right? So, but this woman, this widow of Zarephath, so let me just go ahead and encourage you. That's not what it's saying, all right? All right. 
She is going in to cook her last meal. This is the context of her life, folks. She did not know Elijah was coming. She is out doing what must be done to eke out one more day of existence for her and for her son. And do I think that she was mostly concerned about her son? I do, as we get into the story a little bit more. But she is definitely expressing faith in some difficult circumstances. She expressed her faith first by trusting in God, whom she didn't personally know. I think this is the, this is the outworking of her faith. It says, and as she was going to, to uh, get it, he called her and said, please give me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord, your God lives. There was something about Elijah that said he wasn't from these parts. I don't think he walked around with a sign, I'm a prophet of God. I don't think he had the priestly garments. But there may have been, uh, you know, uh, um, there may have been, he, we know that he passed his, his shawl off. Um, uh, that's not the right word, but his, I'll call it rather large Old Testament scarf, right? And took it from him, put it on Elijah, right? Someone's got to know the name, but I don't remember it right now. A mantle. There's another word. What is it? Talit. You would know the Hebrew. Ed's in, my, Ed's in my life group, and he's always bringing out the Hebrew stuff. Good job, man, but that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> All right? Someone else. I, why? The, the acoustics in here are horrible. A cloak. It's still not the word I'm looking for. Hey, wait, wait, here we go, here we go. We have a, in the chaplaincy, there was called this thing called a change of stall. It was a stall. Sorry, in our, in our modern day, there's a thing that goes around, and, and uh, one chaplain uh, who is in command takes it and puts it on another one, and it, it represents the story of Elijah passing his, his cloak, his shawl, his whatever, onto uh, Elisha. Really wasn't the point, but as we talk about this, she is saying, the Lord your God. There was something about him that told her he was, he was, from God. He believed in the God of the Israelites, right? The God of the Hebrews. It wasn't her God, right? So she, she, was, she demonstrated her trust in God, and she didn't even personally know him. It wasn't her context of life. She expressed faith by trusting in God's word delivered by his prophet. This is, this is uh, she obviously knew of God, but we wonder, I wonder, what did she actually know? Because the people of God all around her are practicing idolatry. It goes on in the story, Elijah said to her, listen, hear the words of the prophet, hear the words of God. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Go, collect your sticks, uh, cook your, cook your uh, flour and, 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 and your, um, your uh, oil, but make me a small cake from it first. I, I, if I were her, I'd be like, were you not listening? I have a little bit, and you're asking me to make something for you first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. I won't have anything left. I'm, I'm just, put yourself in her situation. He goes on to say, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, 
nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth, which we know is three to three and a half years of no rain because of the word of the God's prophet, which is the word of God. And he says, listen, but that same God says the flour and the oil will not diminish. And there's the verse. She went away and did according to the word of Elijah. With everything she's got going on in her life, she acted in faith. The widow of Zarephath expressed faith, and her whole household was blessed. This is a beautiful part of the story, uh, the blessings of God. We won't spend a long time on it, but the story says that she and her household ate for many days, right? The many days would be all the days up to the time where it started raining again. The bin of flour was not used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Once again, emphasizing the amount of times that the word of the Lord, the command of God, is referenced in this story. God is the hero. He's the one who provides. He's the one who calls. He's the one who sends. He is the one working in the big spectacular as well as in the inspiring, seemingly insignificant aspects of the story within the story. So her whole household was blessed, and yet, with all that going on, she later experienced great hardship. We didn't touch on this text. And we're going to go into the, the following verses to see this lady's life isn't just recorded so that Elijah has a place to stay. It says in verse 17, Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Can you sense the despair, the, the, the hurting sarcasm that might be in there? What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? She's distraught. As much as the circumstances were bad enough, now the very person she was trying to keep alive is dead. And some people believe that maybe he didn't die, but I think as we look at the text, it, 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 he was sick. It was serious that there was no breath left in him. If there's no breath left in someone, they are dead. She references that... Uh, uh, she, you know, she is brought to the idea that somehow she's to blame for this, that her sin. And so uh, she does recognize the, the reality of sin, as we all must recognize the reality of sin. But she's saying that, did my sin, did, did God, is God punishing me for my sin that he killed my son? So those are, those are the two, if, if we look at this, you know, she expressed faith. The blessing was the whole household was blessed. But notice, this great hardship came afterwards, and, and it's, it's significant. So I want to just focus from here on out on the hardship of this widow, right? We'll talk about her faith again a little bit later, but I want to just focus on the hardship for a couple minutes. Think about the hardships you've been through in your life. Maybe you're going through one now. Maybe you are, are struggling uh, in similar ways. I don't know. But think about this. Without her going through this hardship, the prophet of God was moved uh, to pray for the impossible. By, by her experiencing this, something happened in Elijah's life that would not have happened otherwise. 
It says, and he said to her, give me your son. So notice, he took him out of her arms and carried him. Probably meaning he's dead. He brought him to the upper room where he was uh, staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? She blamed the prophet. The prophet blamed God. And rightfully so. God is in control of life and death. I, I'm not saying that he was sinning here. I'm saying he's dead. God, people only die in God's timing. And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. This has never been done before. This particular prophet of God was praying what most people would have considered absolutely impossible. From my study, and I'm willing to admit if I'm wrong on this, but I believe this is the very first time in Scripture that a person is brought from death to life. Not the ultimate resurrection, but it's certainly a picture of death coming to life. And, and he prays this prayer. Talk about faith. And in the spectacular story that's going on in Elijah, certainly this is maybe a precursor to what he was willing to do on Mount Carmel. But notice that this takes place in the context of the widow of Zarephath and his care and love for her because of her care and love for her child. Comes on the scene and he prays this impossible prayer. If she had not gone through this difficult time, Elijah would not have gone through this tremendous event because we see that the prophet of God was moved to pray for the impossible. But without this hard time, the prophet of God would never have experienced the blessing of seeing his prayer answered. Answered prayer is a wonderful thing. It says, Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. Nothing is impossible with God. Jesus is, is discipling his disciples teaching his disciples. And he's teaching them about who can enter the kingdom of heaven. And he was like, well, you know, if the rich can't make it, you know, with all, you know, they looked as riches as God's blessing. If they can't do it, who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you are identifying with the widow of Zarephath. Your cultural context, your life experience, Whatever might be going on, you're saying, I need to pray the impossible prayer because I'm at the end of it. I don't see any way out. Pray the impossible prayer because God answers those prayers in Christ, which we'll get to in just a moment. So we see that the, through the hardship, the, uh, the widow, she came to a deeper faith in God's Word. This is where this particular part of our, our, the sermon will end. It, it's the idea, uh, Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper room into the house, uh, and gave him to his mother. Beautiful scene. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman, the widow of Zarephath, said to Elijah, Now by this I know. By this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Apparently, she needed more convincing. 
based upon all the other things, the, uh, the never-ending flour and, and, and oil. But this certainly showed that God is God. She didn't have to wait to the, to the experience on Mount Carmel. She saw this in her own life. So why is her faith inspiring? Let me just walk through a few things with you. So she stands in contrast to King Ahab. All right? King Ahab rejected God's word from God's prophet, right? Elijah came to, to Ahab, much like he came to the widow. And, and, and Ahab rejected God's word from God's prophet. She received God's word from God's prophet. She's in contrast to Ahab. His people had been the special recipients of God's grace. Maybe for millennia, right? I'm not sure exactly the timing of everything. Certainly longer than centuries. Maybe even millennia. You have, uh, you have the, the, the king of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, who knew his heritage and he knew the God of the Bible. He rejected him. But listen, he had this pedigree, this heritage. What did she have? Her people knew only idolatry. Somehow she was aware of the Hebrew God, certainly. But not through, not through her own people. He was brought up knowing the truth, but chose to believe a lie. She was brought up knowing a lie, but chose to believe the truth. This little woman of Zarephath, this unnamed widow, in contrast to the king of Israel, is standing far above him in faith and works. She stands in contrast to Jezebel. I'm not going to spend time going through the, the itty-bitty uh, aspects of this, but Jezebel was this horrific woman from the same area that the widow of Zarephath is from. Jezebel dies a death of being thrown out a window and eaten by dogs. Not a honoring uh, death, certainly. The widow of Zarephath has been recorded in Scripture as a person to be honored and respected for her step of faith. We see also, though, that she stands in contrast to the Nazareans. Now we're going to jump to the New Testament. We're going to see in Luke 4, starting in verse 16, it says, So he, speaking of Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And we, we engaged in this, this text not too long ago. And his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What gracious words read from the scroll of Isaiah. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendants and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him, Jesus. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. God fulfills his word. He prophesied, it is fulfilled. Jesus says, today, in him, this scripture is fulfilled. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. This sounds good, right? And they said, is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, he will you will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. 
Jesus is now exposing the, the, uh, in the, the motives of their heart. They want to see miracles. They want to see healing. They want to see something. They're saying, yeah, okay, if you're this great guy, you've done this everywhere else. Why don't you do it with us? But they had an obstacle. He said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, the, the next major uh, prophet, and and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, what did they just hear? They heard 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 through 24. This was recorded for them, and Jesus is calling them to remembrance of what was going on. He says, so when all these things, when they heard these things, they heard the word of God. They were filled, filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which the, their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Let me just make some connections here. She stands, this widow of Zarephath, stands in contrast to the Nazareans. They had the Son of God in their midst, and they rejected his word. Imagine that. I'll come back to that in just a second. She only had a prophet of God. I say only. It's a pretty major thing to have a prophet of God, but when you're comparing a prophet of God to the Son of God, I think there's an only necessary in that sentence. She only had a prophet of God, and she received God's word. Folks, listen. She stands in contrast to the Nazarenes, and she stands in contrast because she is someone that we can say is a role model, is someone that we can pattern our life after, we, is someone that, that exercised and expressed her faith in God in very tangible ways. Uh, trying, in tangible ways in trying times. We can do that as well. So she stands in contrast to the Nazarenes. But think about this. Who are we? We have God's Word. It reveals the fullness of His revelation. Old Testament and New. We are not ignorant who the son of who the Son of God is. It's Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, Right? They had the Son of God in their midst and rejected His Word. We have the full revelation where it all connects. All the dots are connected. There's no question of who Jesus is and what He has done. Are we people who are willing to receive Christ and live for Him in whatever context of life we have? So the question we have to ask ourselves is, does she stand in contrast to us? Ask yourself, does she, does she stand in contrast to you, to me? She encountered God's grace and responded with simple faith. And I wanted to just emphasize that word simple just for a minute. It doesn't take Mount Carmel experiences to impress God. God impressed Elijah and all those who were witnessing as God did what was necessary on Mount Carmel in that spectacular story. 
And I'm not even saying God is impressed with, the, with anything, right? Because he's God. He can only be impressed with himself, right? Uh, he is the ultimate of all things. And he is to be honored and glorified in all things. But she encountered his grace. What is grace? It's God's unmerited favor. We don't do anything to deserve it. God, I, don't, I do not believe God sent Elijah to her because of who she was and what she had done. I believe God sent Elijah to her because of who God is and what God has done, was doing, and will ultimately do, and from our perspective has done and will ultimately do as well. She encountered his grace. She didn't do anything to deserve Elijah to come. We don't deserve forgiveness of our sins. God sent Elijah to her to, to meet her need and to, and to draw her to a deeper faith and a recognition of who he is. God sent his son to us that we might understand God's grace. Most of us in this room will say, yes, I know the grace that you're talking about. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. It's not my own works. It's a gift of God. If it was my own works, I could boast about it. We can't boast about the work of God. The widow of Zarephath was no, no way capable of boasting. She encountered God's grace, and she responded with simple faith. And what was the faith? She did what the prophet of God told her. She obeyed the word of the Lord. Have you encountered God's grace? Now, certainly there is this, the grace that we rely upon for salvation, right? Jesus Christ came. It's the gospel. And now, again, I would say most of us in this room would say we have, we have actually encountered the grace of God in our salvation. It wasn't through our good works that we have obtained eternal life. It is through coming to faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, dying on the cross and paying for all sin of all time of all people. And those who come to faith in Him are set free from their sin. They no longer have to live in this world uh, uh, tied to all the, the muck and mire that they used to be tied to. They, actually have a, they can actually live a life in the now that glorifies God because of the Holy Spirit indwelling them because God's grace has redeemed them. And we, for all those who have experienced that redemption, we pray that you would experience it too. And it's in Scripture. It's there. You just need to go find it. You need to read it. You need to believe. You need to talk to someone. If you don't understand it, talk to me. Talk to someone and ask, what does it mean to encounter God's grace for salvation? But it's not just salvation that, that we have. Uh, have you responded in faith, right? The, the God, God's grace is certainly for salvation, but I think Joe preached it not too long ago. It's by grace we are saved, but it's also by grace we're sustained, right? It's God's unmerited favor in our daily lives. And so if we've experienced it, have we responded in faith? What is going to be your response to God's grace? Now, in these particular things, maybe it's, maybe it's not salvation. Maybe it's some aspect, Christians, maybe it's some aspect of your life. Will you trust him? The widow of Zarephath trusted in God when it really made no sense. Will you obey him? Once again, she obeyed him when it really almost made no sense. Will you humble yourself before him? This is... This is 21st century application, right? This is, this is, I want you to trust. I want you to obey. I want you to, but listen, will you humble yourself before the God 
who does the spectacular, but also does the inspiring. You know what's inspiring to me? Is seeing a child take a step of faith. That's inspiring. I've been a Christian a long time. I'm inspired by a child taking a step of faith. We need to humble ourselves before God. Will you submit your priorities to His? I don't know what God's doing in your life this morning. But I believe there's always a need for us to respond to God's grace because His mercies are new every morning and His grace is genuine, it's real, and we need to respond to it. So I'll ask you lastly, and we'll close in prayer, will you, if you think that God has forgotten who you are, you don't know Jesus. Or you've forgotten what Jesus did for you. God is trying to do something in your life. He's calling you to respond to Him and His grace. Will you respond to whatever it is God's doing in your life? And will you do it like the widow of Zarephath? An encounter with God's grace should provoke a response of simple faith. I pray that'll be your prayer today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we praise you for your work. Your word has been going forth since the days of Moses. Certainly audibly even before that. But the written word started to go forth in his day. And as he started recording scripture, and as others picked up the pen at your direction and recorded scripture, we stand here today or sit here today in this room more than likely possessing your word in, in physical, uh, tangible, in a physical, tangible book or in, on digits on a screen, whatever it might be, Lord. We're just thankful that you have revealed your word to us. And it is in your word that we are told to love you to love our neighbor, to give honor to whom honor is due, to obey parents, to love children, to do all the things. Your word tells us that we are supposed to respond in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, all these things are found in your word. Your word has been going forth. We pray, Lord, as it has gone forth today, and as it will continue to go forth, certainly in this building, but even as we encounter your word privately, we pray, Father, that we will be looking for how you'd call us to respond. May the heart of everyone in this room be challenged with whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, and may the response of your people bring you glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.